You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Happy New Year. Good to be with you. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us here at Reality Honolulu. If you don't know me, my name is Riz, the pastor here at Reality. Um, but I just got back with my family. We were gone for a couple weeks, and so maybe you were too, but missed you guys. We were able to actually go back and see all our family, both sides, as well as visit um, three other realities and be a part of their service with teaching and leading worship. And uh, Reality Santa Barbara, Reality Carpinteria, and Reality Ventura send their love and prayers to you. If you didn't know, we're a part of a family of churches located on the mainland in Europe and in Hawaii. Uh, and so we're a part of what God is doing for the last 20 years in the Reality family of churches. And so we got to go uh, see them and give a report on what God's doing here. But they also send their love. And so anyway, it's good to be back though. Really excited to just be back with you guys in community and fellowship and worship together. And be back in Hawaii in warmer climates. Love California, but uh, warmer climates in Hawaii is uh, more preferable. Uh, so good to be back with you on this first Sunday of the new year. And as always, in addition to worship and fellowship and community, we like to get into the Word of God for a large portion of our service. And we're going to pick up right where we left off pre-Christmas in the book of Philippians. We're going to get right into it and pick that up. And so if you have a Bible, love for you to join me in our text the Lord has us in this morning. If you do not have a Bible, feel free. Uh, there's Bibles on this table over here, Bibles on that table. Those are for you to follow along. Or if you don't have a Bible, or you don't have a Bible in that translation and you want it, take it. It's not weird. I know it's weird of like stealing a Bible from church. You're not. It's a gift. If you need one or if there's someone you know that needs a Bible, those are yours to give away. Love to get the Word of God in people's hands. And so but without further ado, we are going to read just a couple verses from Paul's letter here to the church in Philippi. Uh, I'm going to pray and then kind of remind us the context of this and get into what God wants to speak to us today. But uh, follow along with me, Philippians 3, 17 through 19. This is the word of the Lord. It says this, Paul speaking. <clears throat> he says, join together in following my example. Brothers and sisters, and just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is in destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, thank you for this first Sunday of this new calendar year. And Lord, as much as I think probably all of us in little or big ways have made New Year's resolutions for our personal lives, we want to set up, uh, say, God, this is your year to move in our hearts and in Hawaii as it is in heaven. We want to start off this Sunday thanking you in advance for what you're going to do with us this whole year, starting today. God, we want to become more like you as a people. We want to experience more of Jesus in this place, in our personal lives, in our family, 
God, we, we want to reorder our lives this year for what is most valuable. We want to prioritize you this year. And God, we want to start that this calendar year by reading your word. So Holy Spirit, speak, speak to us. God, we want to be a people that, are, that love God and love people um, with all that we are. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've been with us, you know this. But if you haven't, this is going to be really important. Context, anytime you read the Bible, is absolutely important. The Bible is one book that we have, but in it are actually 66 books written over thousands of years by different authors, and there's different types of literary genre. Some are poetic in nature, some are narrative, some are apocalyptic. Like, you're supposed to read it differently. You're supposed to approach, when you read a book, like the book of Philippians, you're supposed to be like, what is this? What kind of literature is it? Who was it written to? Who was the author? And so for the last several months, we've tried to do that. We've tried to discover what is this book of Philippians? Who is it written to? What's the author? What's the intent? What's the purpose? And then we just slowly work our way through it. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And it's actually going to take us all the way till Easter this year to finish out this book that's short in chapters. But again, we just like to pause and stop and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. So in that said, as way of reminder, when you see these words, when you hear these words spoken, you have to know this is a letter. This is a penned letter on like a piece of parchment. This is a historical document that's been preserved for 2,000 years now that we have in our language, in our context today. By, just by that alone, this is incredible we have this. We have multiple versions of it. This is a historic, real document. It's not... Made up, this is a real letter from a real person, the Apostle Paul, to a real church and a real people in the city of Philippi. So it's incredible we have this. But again, we need to read this as, okay, that's, this is this letter set in time then. But we also need to know this is a part of the living word of God. And so even though this was written by a person we don't know to a people that are very different than us, this is for us today as well. And Paul, by nature, this, this letter to the Philippians, it's much like any other letter he's written. He, reads, he wrote about 13 of these in the New Testament. If you read, a lot of times the start of any New Testament book are letters. They're written letters from Paul to either pastors, leaders of churches, specific churches, or just the church, Christians in general. It's pretty neat. There's pastoral epistles. Epistle would be like another word for letter. This is a, like a church epistle. This is a specific letter written to a group of people, this church, that Paul himself started, if you want to do some homework and a reminder, Acts chapter 16. Write that down, read it. It'll link you to, oh, this is the church that Paul is speaking to, this church in Philippi. The reason why I say all that is because Paul, he's writing this letter from prison in Rome. He's been imprisoned for the gospel's sake. He's traveled from Jerusalem throughout Israel into Asia, into Europe now. The gospel has spread thousands of miles. And he's being persecuted for this work. Paul is currently imprisoned for this work for starting churches, for writing letters, for talking about Jesus. He is being persecuted. 
And at the time of this letter, think about that. Paul's imprisoned, and he is not sure of his fate. And so he's writing a letter that can be carried to different churches and different pastors because he still wants to communicate some truths that are really important. And today, what we see here, what's happening, is that Paul is, is giving a, a warning. And he does this a lot. And he's trying to communicate uh, care through this sober warning to this little church that just started not long ago of some things that are happening and some things to be careful. Because think about this. We today, as Christians, have like the whole world's libraries at our fingertips in our pocket. Google anything you want, commentaries, books have been written. The church has been around for 2,000 years in 2024. But back then, first century, Paul is like, the only seminary that they have. The only book, there's the, the canon of scripture isn't written. Like we have stacks of Bibles in any language you can imagine in the world today. That is not, that's not what's happening. So you have to put yourself in that context. You're like, why does Paul, like this seems pretty basic, I don't know. And you're like, it's not for them. What was happening at the time, which we'll read, is that the purity and simplicity of the good news of Jesus Christ was being heavily distorted. It was being, there was added hoops, there was added things you needed to do, there was God, things being preached that were no, not even close to the way of Jesus. And so Paul, doing his best, is trying to like confront and speak into that and protect them um, in, in many ways. And so really there's two things that Paul is trying to do today. And even though it's written back then, it's really for us as well. These are the two things he's doing. One is really just exposing the reality of where many are at. For this little church in Philippi, they're all excited about, you know, this just Jesus they heard about and what he gives them. But they're, they're unaware, in some sense, that a lot of people are, are really messing with it. So again, he's kind of sharing the reality. He's popping their bubble a little bit of like, hey, be careful. There's a lot going on around you that isn't right. And two, he, said, he, he brings up the importance of doing life with other believers that are following the way of Jesus. And so I'm going to start with the first one, the reality of where many were at in that time. What does Paul mean here, right? Paul had mentioned there was many around them that Perhaps they were religious, perhaps they believed in God, but big caveat here, when it came to following and practicing the way of Jesus, instead of them purely and simply loving God, right, by grace we've been saved through works so that no man should boast. Paul writes that to the church in Ephesus. He said, it's by God's grace you are saved, not by anything you've done. But God has done it on his behalf. What was happening in that time is that people were saying, well, God loves you. Yes, he saved you, but in order to truly be saved, you got to do this, that, and the other. Whether it's maybe a cultural part of, a part of culture, 
Maybe it was, oh, well, you need to also be circumcised in order to actually be saved. You can believe, but you also actually have to do this cultural practice also to be really good. And in many ways, in different cities and in different cultures at the time, the gospel, the purity of Jesus on the cross, that God sent his son to die in our place, and all we have to do is believe and receive and surrender, and God did it, and we just walk in it. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the truth of the gospel. What was happening at the time, all over this little Christianity movement that was spreading around the world, this beautiful, wonderful, grace-given gospel was being distorted. And he said, even people that are communicating it, he said they're desiring um, other things over that. They're valuing things over God. He, uses, he even uses like metaphors like they're leading with their stomach. I don't know if you saw that. That's a metaphor for they are just being led by their physical desires. And Paul, you know, uses a few of these here. They're distorted. Their destiny is destruction. And he's talking about religious folk or even quote-unquote Christians at the time. Paul is speaking to a distortion of the gospel. Because even though miraculously so many had come to faith in this first century, people were adding to how it was that you were to be saved. And in order to be saved, it's more than just believing. You need to do these works also. You need to engage in these cultural practices. You get the picture. And... This isn't the first time Paul brings a warning like this up. This isn't the second time. I mean, Paul would do this in almost every one of his letters. Because at the time, there were false teachers that were distorting the purity of Christ's message that were springing up all over. And you know what's interesting? I'm talking about 2,000 years ago in like Asia, Europe, in the Middle East. But doesn't it sound like what's been happening for 2,000 years? It's, it's, a, it's, it's something that has plagued the church and Christianity for a long time. To this day, there are quote-unquote preachers or churches or pastors or religious folk or whatever it is that have completely, unfortunately, distorted the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not everyone by any means, but like then is also like now. And so that's why I bring it up. It's like Paul's speaking to a specific context at a specific year in a specific culture. But just like then, we also need to be careful as Christians to what we believe and what we hear and what we listen and how we practice. And we should be, as Paul, would, uh, the book of Acts would talk about, there's a people in Berea that were called the Bereans. And even though Paul even himself would say things, they would do their own homework. They would go to the scriptures themselves. They would double check what this apostle or pastor said because they wanted to make sure it lined up with the word of God. And Paul's not speaking to the Bereans here. He's speaking to the Philippians. And, but the same idea carries that much more weight. That just like then... Just, is just like now, that many Christians were and are being led astray by, Paul would say, these bad examples. 
So that's why, in contrast, Paul not only tries to teach good theology through all of his letters, like he tries to set bad doctrine and bad theology right. Again, you read all of Paul's letters and most of the New Testament, it's trying to correct bad practices and things that are seeping into the church, honestly. Or it's trying to train pastors and leaders how to lead the church. But not only does Paul do that, try to straighten things out that have gone astray in the church, but he also goes as far to say, you, you know what? Just follow me. Follow my example. You have a lot of bad examples, and Paul's like, you know what? Just follow my example. And that might seem kind of weird, right? This apostle, this pastor, this church planter in the letter being like, you know what? Actually, just follow me. You're like, okay, this is the start of a cult. But you have to enter the context. There is no one else. <laughs> Paul is the senior Christian. Paul is the one doing the work of the ministry most. He probably at that time, even though he was not perfect at any means, he had probably walked with Jesus for one of the longest amounts of times. And he was being sanctified and he was being redeemed. And so Paul literally, not only in this letter, he says, you know what? He encourages the readers to follow his and others' example like him. He would write another letter, right? I bring that up a lot. To another church in another city, the city of Corinth, not too far from Philippi. And he would say in 1 Corinthians 11.1, literally, follow me as I follow Christ. Because again, Think about this. At the time of all these letters, the physical Jesus had died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended to heaven. That was like 30 to 50 years prior. These people didn't know Jesus in these letters. This was very new, this idea of the Messiah coming to the Jews, and it was Jesus, but then the Romans killed him on a cross, but then you're saying he rose from the dead. Like, this is brand new news. Again, there's no commentaries, there's no YouTube, there's no social media, the chosen's not on TV. There is no way to know the person of Jesus. Think about that. And think about how, like, a privilege it is that we have all that. Like, we can know the person of Jesus. We have the word of God. We have all the saints that have come before us. But back then, Paul's like, you know what? There's so many people that are distorting the gospel. You know what? Just follow me as I follow Christ. I'm attempting, my life is attempting to be like the life of Jesus. Just mirror me. Follow me. Imitate me. And again, that was... In the New Living Translation of that verse, 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, it literally says, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. And this isn't, Paul isn't bringing up like a new idea here. Throughout scripture, I mean, it, if you're a Christian for any amount of time, you, you would hear this. But there is so many other biblical truths put forth that you may have heard. Like this idea of like iron sharpening iron. Like that you need people in your life that are also following Jesus to sharpen you. And you sharpen them. And you encourage them. And you speak life over them. And you send them verses. And you pray for them. Like you need those people. Iron sharpening iron. You have to have them. The Bible is also like really clear that we should not neglect the habit of meeting together. 
the book of Hebrews says. Because we're meant to gather, to spur one another on towards love and good deeds. And that idea there in Hebrews 10 of not, of not neglecting meeting together and spurring each other on, it's literally like a spur of a cowboy boot hitting the side of a horse for a horse to gallop. Like action, movement, like we have to have that in order for growth and movement to happen. So Paul here, he says, hey, you need examples, good, godly, biblical, Christ-like examples in your life. I'm that, follow me as I follow Christ. But again, the Bible itself says you need iron sharpening iron. You need community. You need gathering so that you can spur each other on towards love and good deeds. Right, these concepts that the Bible, that Paul here is putting forth by God in his word is for good reasons. Um, You probably can testify to this in your life if you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time. But one of the greatest ways that we can grow and keep on track is having others in our lives we look up to who encourage us, who challenge us. Whether it's older or more mature or people that have walked with Jesus longer, you name it. Right, this concept that Paul is talking about today, I truly believe is just about the most important thing any of us can do when it comes to our walks with Jesus. When I look back at my life, um, I got saved in middle school. Right as I was entering, like for us, middle school in California was 7th and 8th grade, at least at my school. So 6th grade was elementary and then... somewhere between 6th and 7th grade, I gave my, my life to the Lord. I started walking with Jesus. And so that was 25 years ago now. And if I look back on how I got here or, like, my life or my, my relationship with Jesus, like, what made it grow most? Right? You, it's good to, like, Think about that. Like, what what helped me to grow? What helped me to become more like Jesus? I would say, of course it was sermons. Of course it was Bible studies. Of course it was those things. But if I was going to look at, like, one season in my life and how I grew or I overcame that or how I surrendered that or, like, the, you know, if I was looking at a graph of growth, the, the peaks of growth, it would be like, oh, there was, there was people in my life like one-on-one discipleship or a mentor, or I just did life with someone that loved Jesus more than I did. And I just was around that person, and I was watching them, and I was observing, and I was trying to do what they did. In the same way Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, I subconsciously did that with people in my life, whether it was a youth pastor or whether it was like an adult mentor or whether it was just other people in the church that I did home group with, like midweek Bible study. I would just do life with these people that knew more about Jesus and followed him more closely and had surrendered more. And what happened was is that I began to... to, have immense growth spurts in my own walk with Jesus. Again, sermons and Bible studies and all that stuff was also really important. My own personal reading, absolutely. But when Paul says this, when he says, follow me as I follow Christ, I'm like, amen, brother. Because I think that it is such a, it's supposed to be such a part of just, we're supposed to do life together 
in community and we're supposed to have people that have done it longer or are older or are more mature or whatever it may be, we got to have them in our life and we got to follow their example as they follow Christ. Again, you have to be careful because no one is Jesus. Everyone has their faults, so there might be some things that you don't want to follow. There's all of us have that. But for the most part, you get the idea here. You need iron sharpening iron. We need to spur each other on. We need these godly examples in our lives. And again, it's more than just anyone. It's more than just like a placeholder of an older person. Just because they're like five years older, I should listen to everything they say. No. Paul is saying the people you need to follow need to like be legit and solid. And what he means by that is to know and to read God's word, to not go astray. Like that's what's happening here. Paul's saying you're following the wrong examples. It's not the way of Jesus. They're distorting the way of Jesus. Don't follow them. And so a good godly right example that we would have in our own lives is someone that attempts to just follow the way of Jesus according to the, God, the, the word of God. Right? It's not just anyone that's just kind of making stuff up because sadly, and in the most damaging ways, like I brought up and we all know, like just because a church is a church or a pastor is a pastor or a Christian is a Christian, like over the last two millennia, we've seen that the gospel can still be distorted if we're not careful um, bad theology, bad doctrine, bad practices. It's all, unfortunately, not uncommon. That's why Paul would, in confidence at that time in history and in context, he said, just follow my example, heed my words, follow me as I follow Christ. But where do we go with that? Because that's not us in that context at that time of the world, and we don't have Paul to look at. How do we do that? And this, is, this is where... I want to I challenge us this year. Number one, it's just a good to know and a warning. It's a cautionary word of warning. Because again, just like then, like now, we can all be easily led astray. Just because a church says something, a pastor says something, we got to be Bereans. Just because I say something, you got to be like, what does the word of God say, Riz? I'm like, yeah, let's go there. Because... That's where we should be studying and knowing. So whether it's this church or another church or five years from now or ten years from now or whatever it is, whatever church you end up at, whatever it is, remember Paul's word like, hey, does that, does that church, does that pastor, does that Christian, does that whoever you're looking up to, is this in God's word? Is this the character of Christ? Is this the way of Jesus? Like where are you getting this stuff from? Right, so that's just good. That's just good for us. Cautionary word. But also, I believe it's no coincidence, this is an exhortation for us this year. Right? New Year's resolution time. Okay, here's the resolution for us. is to do more of our life in Christian community. With believers who are also trying to follow the way of Jesus with the word of God directing what that actually looks like. I'm not saying that you have to fill your entire life and every single person has to be a Christian. No, that's not realistic. 
nor are we ever going to be witnesses to those that don't know Jesus. Of course, a lot of our people in our life don't know Jesus. But regardless of that, we have to be really intentional and mindful to surround ourselves with men and women in our life that are also pursuing Jesus. That can just be organically through relationship. That could be through an Ohana group. That could be through a Bible study. That could be through a time of prayer. That could just be like going out to lunch with someone and like encouraging each other. But we got to have it. Like we got to look at our life and go, yeah, like I am surrounded and I have people in my corner that are also trying to pursue Jesus, that we can be iron sharpening iron, encouraging one another, spurring each other on towards love and good deeds. And so church, as we enter worship now, as we enter this time of response, I just want us to not only worship God for who he is and what he's done, but I want us to be challenged to start this year by really examining and setting the right priorities and right values when it comes to who are we following? Who are we looking up to? What examples of Jesus do we have in a practical way? Are we surrounding ourselves with the people of God to grow in Jesus this year? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you're a God that is ever-present you're living, you're active, you're here with us today. And as we look at this historical document, thank you that it's just as re uh, uh, relatable and applicable today as it was then. And so God, we pray for our church. I pray for all of us as believers or Christians in this room that we would also um, be a people that follow the right examples for the right reasons. That we, that God, if we don't have people in our lives right now, God, would you provide? I know sometimes that is really hard. We're seeking mentorship or we're seeking discipleship or we're seeking wise counsel and we just don't have it. Holy Spirit, I pray over our church that that would be more true than ever this year. God, we pray for more um, relational connection in this church. God, we pray that we would pray for one another more in this church this year. We'd encourage one another more. We'd keep each other accountable more, that we'd um, and just speak life over each other more this year. We would be the examples of what it means to follow Jesus in the midst of a broken world to each other, that we'd bear each other's burdens, that we'd be the church as you designed it. We love you, Lord. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.